0: Like, I would say of academics in my field who I've talked to just in general, um, I'd say between maybe like 1 in 5 and 1 in 10 have actually even heard that the replication crisis is a thing, Um, which which is concerning to me.
1: Welcome to Everything Hurts, my name is Daniel Quintana, i formerly of the University of Oslo, I have moved to a small volcanic vent in the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, and I'm here with my co-host and fellow socialist, James Heathers from Northeastern University in Boston. Say hello, James. Hi.
2: (laughs) I've no idea where you're going with this, but uh, let's continue.
1: I know. I just thought. I just thought it would be fun because we've we've had something of a hiatus. I thought it would be fun. First thing to see your little face looking annoyed and confused, and that's exactly <laughs> what you've done for me. <laughs> Thank you for this moment.
2: If only it was video, but it's
1: not. But oh, this is. Dude, we're not going down that road again, but James. Let's we, we, we got a special, we got a
2: special guest today.
1: Yeah, I was getting to that. Obviously, we've got a, we've got a highly special guest. We've got easily easily the largest guest. We have the largest guest. Someone else is never going to get a bigger guest than us, unless they have. Oh Christ! Oh, I'm starting to make a list. Let's not do that. This is Greg. Do I say is it Knuckles? As yeah, in it's Knuckles? Knuckles. Because I, uh, I, 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 I see I, it re- written down. I never heard it said out loud before. Greg, yeah, why I, don't you introduce yourself so I don't fuck it up?
0: Uh greg knuckles yep you got it right i think it's supposed to be new like it's a german a german name uh but when it got brought to this side of the pond it it be it became a a homophone for the anatomical feature pretty quickly
1: gotcha they're like that guy gronkowski which is it just does my head in after working in poland for eight (laughs) months and meeting a guy oh his name's gronkowski it's fucking not but never mind what do you do gregory
0: uh, currently a grad student in exercise physiology and a strength coach and writer.
1: That sums it up relatively easily, but um, it's not a, it's not exactly that straightforward, is it? I mean, most people who are grad students, they do a normal sort of four-year terminal degree and they get into a grad student program and then kind of make their way through Hope they publish something, contribute to scientific literature, etc., etc. But historically, you have probably been more strength coach at large and uh, and raw powerlifter for some point in time. Surely, do you still compete?
0: Um, last meet was about a year ago, but I'm I'm not done with the platform. I'll I'll be
1: back. Oh, fair enough. And uh just for the the, the the sake the sake of people, um kind of a baseline perspective. Uh what's your what's your max all time raw deadlift, no suit, straps? Uh
0: my best deadlift is seven thirty five, best squat, oh. seven sixty five best
1: bench, Oh my god, what's what that's okay. Kilos? That's that's a what? lot of weight. Lots what? of kilos, Daniel, L-lots potentially of kilos. all of them.
0: In kilos, uh seven fifty six squat 334
1: 333
0: 3, 334 deadlift and 221
1: 222 bench. Yeah, nice. So you're basically a haulage mechanism and if anyone wants to ride on your shoulders <laughs> they need a heavy vehicle license. So that's a that's that's an unusual perspective to come to come out a it was so it would be fair to say you're not a normal exercise science graduate student
0: yeah I I took I took a strange path um, so I initially wanted to go get my master's and then PhD uh, you know pretty soon after I graduated undergrad um, but the the place I applied uh, at the time was University of Tampa and then after I got in it started becoming... Um, Fairly obvious to people who were observing that situation closely that there was, um, I don't think anything's been proven, but most people pretty strongly suspect that there were uh, very unethical research practices going on down there. And a bunch of that came out like a month after I got accepted. Uh, So I said, well, not going there. And at that point, it was too late to apply anywhere else for for the next year. Um, and then like business stuff took off. And so it has been kind of a weird path because I've always been wanting to go to grad school, but, uh, it's been like four years since I graduated undergrad. So I'm like the old dude in the program and all everyone else in my co, well, most of the other people in my cohort are like 22 fresh out of undergrad. And I'm like, Oh, you guys, <laughs> you're so
2: sweet. <laughs> what? and, and what's your, uh, what's your research questions specifically, or what are you, uh, what are you working on?
0: Um, so what I'm going to be doing for my thesis is um, looking at fatigue and recovery from resistance training in men versus women and women at different points in their menstrual cycle. Um, there's there's a fair amount of work in that area already, um, but a lot of it uses, well, mo- a, a comfortable majority of the fatigue stuff uses isometric exercise. Um and then the the stuff that doesn't mostly uses, like, isotonic, eccentric, or concentric only exercise. So not much, like, pretty ecologically valid work in that area. Right. Um, and then the recovery <laughs> stuff, especially with regards to the menstrual cycle, there's a lot of anecdotal reports that that makes a pretty big difference. Um, but there's only one paper there by Markovsky in 2014. So um, I think interesting questions. Uh, in relatively sparse bodies of at least like ecologically valid literature.
2: Now, one thing that I think is interesting is that you work in an area that is full of anecdotes, full of stories of things. Yeah, this is this is this is going <laughs> to this is going to improve my training. This is going to have an impact of my training. Um, yet. Uh, you're actually looking at it from a, from a data perspective. Um, I, I noticed one of your um, one of your posts was actually a, a meta-analysis looking at this exact que- uh, looking at this exact question: um, males versus females, um, fatigue, mm-hmm. strength. Um, but you, you're doing something quite unconventional in that a lot of people wouldn't actually go to the trouble of doing a meta-analysis and then posting it on a blog and then taking mm-hmm. it from there. A lot of people would actually, um, you know, do all their work, keep it all hidden. Um, Submit it to a journal and hopefully it'll get accepted one day. Why do you take this other approach where you're actually essentially sharing all your work? I mean, a lot of people think they're forward thinking by doing preprints, but you're even (coughs) circumventing preprints by doing these blog posts and and, and newsletters. Why are you taking this particular approach? Uh, A few reasons.
0: So, one, um, I'm currently doing my master's. And if you would have asked me three years ago, uh, if you would have asked me a year ago, um I would have told you I wanted to do a PhD, go into academia. Um now like it's 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 less an issue with academia and more an issue with I like my business and I like what I do. Um and I very much realize now that I wouldn't have time to do a really good job at both of those things. Um so I'm not planning on going into academia and therefore I don't see any reason I should publish. Um because it's not going to impact my career to any to any meaningful degree that I can tell. And so then it basically comes down to, uh, do I want to publish just because it would be good for prestige? And if I go to a conference, maybe a couple more people would give me a pat on the back. Uh, or would I rather put it out on my blog? So basically, like, do I want to put it in a journal where if I'm lucky, a thousand academics will read it, or do I want to put it out on my blog where a hundred thousand coaches and athletes will read it and
1: actually be able to benefit from it? Um, That's no that's a sort of a, a, that's a normal kind of blog hit for you. Is it? uh, I don't think there's a lot of people writing in meta-analyses anywhere, no matter where they're (laughs) published, who are doing a hundred thousand rollovers. If
2: if you had a thousand readers of an academic meta-analysis, you're damn lucky.
1: (laughs) You're
0: so (laughs) so so lucky. So the so the, the sex difference one got um it got sixty thousand reads in the first week and oh if it doesn't break a hundred thousand this year, I'll be quite surprised.
2: <laughs> and I thought there was like two hundred comments on the actual on the actual post.
0: Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. It made it to the front that's page a- of Reddit, which
2: is wow. always fun. Like the oh, the front the front front page. Good. Yeah. That's amazing. you you've made it when you reach the uh, the front page of the front page of the internet. but, well, but yeah, yeah. So, unless so like, you're a cat as, <laughs> so
0: like as far as I'm concerned, the so if I was interested in like molecular work where like if you put it in the hands of a practitioner, they're they're not gonna know what the fuck to do with it. Uh, then yeah, like I'd definitely try to get that published in a journal. There would be not much point in blogging about it. Like, the stuff that I'm interested in is the stuff that other coaches would be interested in. And so, like, those are the people I want to make sure I can get it to. Um, so, you know, people can read it for free on my website. And another big thing is I think one of the things that pe- that turns people off from reading science, uh, now that, like, you can get full text of stuff because Hub is great. Um, I think the biggest thing that turns people off of reading science is just, like, the style you have to write in is absolute garbage. Mm. And so, and also like, I hate word counts. Uh, And if you've read much on my site, uh, that'll make sense because it (laughs) tends to go pretty long. But a lot of that is like, Uh, the assumption I can make about my readers is that they're generally intelligent, but probably don't have as much background knowledge of a particular topic as I do. Mm -hmm. So like if I was writing in a journal, I wouldn't be able to like, you know, talk about basic physiology and then build up from there. You know, I need to like get straight onto the research question. Um, and then if one of my average blog readers stumbled upon the published article, they'd get halfway through the introduction and be like, where the fuck are we right now? Um... But so, like, stylistically, if I'm handling the publishing myself, I can make sure I I write uh, with an accessible style and on a level that the people who I want to understand the stuff will be able to understand the stuff.
1: Right. So, let me talk to all you're mentioning so far is that the the lack of academic publishing is... uh, Oh, you've listed a long series of what are, frankly, very strong advantages from just not doing it at all because it fits the circumstances that you're in mm-hmm. specifically. You don't have uh, you, you, you don't need like a brag role. You don't need mm-hmm. to have a series of publications to be recognized as doing a thing. You have your own ability to do your business and manage your reputation, etc etc et cetera. So you don't have to put it in any kind of formal format. If you want normal people to read it, you're allowed to cross link your own shit that you've done. That's already a good explanation of the background. You're allowed to spend 1500 words working up from basic concepts to where the actual jump off is in the article. Mm -hmm. You're allowed to handle all your own formatting. You're allowed to handle all your own release. And I assume that you've got uh, multiple media formats or an email list that you're pushing shit through at the same point in time. Rather than sort of hoping it appears on the internet at the behest of a copy editor who, if they're anything like the copy editors I've dealt with, are permanently high on glue. And Oh, that's
0: the, another big the, thing. I can work with a good copy editor. Um, my oh, wife, one, you, or, one
1: that you like to get a format that you enjoy. Yeah.
0: My, my wife, her professional training is in copy editing, oh, which is also perfect. incredibly helpful.
1: Oh, beautiful. So... <laughs> The only there's only there's only one drawback I can think of with the, the the fit of what you're doing, which is really it's properly legitimate academic work. Really, you're, you're producing this, and your newsletter, which we haven't covered yet, is essentially a research roundup of things that are happening in strength and conditioning, exercise physiology, sports science, mm-hmm. some nutrition as well. All yeah, kind of rolled I, into one. I don't one.
0: I don't I don't do the nutrition, but. Uh, Eric Helms covers that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, I liked your old name. I thought your old name was absolutely brilliant. And then you said, no one got it, which hurt my feelings.
0: Yeah. String theory. So yeah. apparently, apparently that doesn't it's work. It's a double because... pun.
2: Perfect. See? Uh, yes. So my,
0: my, my, current site's name is stronger by science. It used to be string theory, but with an I or but with an E instead of an I. So, like, the T-H was shared between the end of strength and the start of theory. Yeah, that works. Um, but, like, I would pronounce, sh- like, so I'm from the South. And there's, uh, if you look at, like, uh, geographical linguistic stuff, the pen pin merger, uh, hmm. where basically people from my part of the country would pronounce, like, P-E-N and P-I-N the same way, whereas most people would not. So, like, to me, it was a perfect pun because I pronounced string theory and string theory the same way. Like, that's just how I would say those words. But the majority of humans in the world don't. Um, And so, people are like, this doesn't make any sense. And so, I I figure it's one of those things where I had to to take the shot of having a business based on a really bad pun. Um, (laughs) So, I... I feel uh, vindicated in that I did give it an honest shot, but it just wasn't
1: working out. Now, uh, well, I I thought, I thought it, was, uh, it, it was it was apparent as a joke. I thought it was good, and then you posted something somewhere I can't remember where and you said, no one, no one' got my pun out. I got your pun. I liked your pun. I miss it. Well, Way to so get off topic, here's, James?
0: Now here's wh- honestly here's honestly the thing that did it for me. I would come on podcasts. And people would say, this is Greg Knuckles from strengththeory.com. And every time I heard that double TH, uh, a little piece of my soul died. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's worn and tattered as it is. I didn't need to, to put it under any quicker.
2: Now, uh, One thing I want to ask you about is um, we have a, a bit of a problem in psychology in that there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, just to give an example... Um, The whole idea of power posing, that if you pose in a particular way, it's going to improve. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's my reaction too. Um, But uh, I would almost argue that things are even worse in uh, strength and conditioning. Um, I've got um, a Twitter alert set up for anyone that mentions the term heart rate variability. And you wouldn't believe, you probably would believe the the amount of garbage that's out there that people are tweeting about, that people are talking about. That is clearly wrong. So, when it comes Mm -hmm. to strength and conditioning, how do you go about actually addressing this misinformation? And, and how do you think these things propagate?
0: Um, so, okay, I, I'm of two minds about this. Um, so on one hand, well, <laughs> on one hand, there's no one actually looking to see how good the strength and conditioning work is. Um, so this semester, actually, I'm doing an independent study and my advisor was like, what do you want to do? And probably expected me to say like, what if I interned in a gym or something like that? Uh, just because, like, he knows me. I'm a bro. That's how I roll. Um, but I was like, have you heard about P-curves? And, uh, oh. <laughs> and, uh, oh, it's getting fun. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm somewhat... You're, gonna, you're going blow to the,
2: you're blow the field
0: apart. Well, we'll see. We'll see. So, I, I am, like, legitimately curious about how good it is. Um, because on one hand... There are absolutely scientists in XFIS who are very bright and know what they're doing. And then there are a lot who are like bros and college athletes who didn't know what they wanted to do with their life and got a hold of SPSS and started clicking buttons looking for P is less than 0.05. So, like that, people like that aren't uh, too rare in the field. So, I'm sure there's going to be some nonsense out there. On the flip side, um, if you look at the things that, like, incentivize junk science, um, like, some of them have to do with, uh, like, how much grant money you're working with and can you publish a bunch of stuff to get more really big grants. And, like, especially in the strength hypertrophy area of XFIS, <laughs> there's no money in the first place. Uh, so it's not like it's not like there's these huge grants that people are, Uh, potentially cutting corners to fight over because there just aren't that many grants and they aren't that big in the first place. Um, Mm. And then also I I somewhat doubt... So I'm sure publication bias absolutely still applies in uh, XFIS, but I think it's probably less prevalent than a field like psychology um, because the studies we do are very, very labor-intensive. Oh, yeah. and, And so it's not like, you know... I had some people take a survey, didn't say what I wanted to, so we're just going to kind of sweep that under the rug and do it again. Um, you're not going to fucking do an eight-week training study twice. Like, oh, you're no. going to do it, you're going to get your results, and you're going to try to get those those results published no matter what. Um, so my my hunch is that the incentives in exercise science would probably suggest that it's not as bad as a field like psychology but the um the <laughs> the overall quality of the minds in the field and again not taking away from the people who are bright and very smart and know what they're doing um my, my hunch is that like if you compare the average intelligence and aptitude of uh ex-phys researcher versus like a biomedicine researcher um, I don't think our field on the whole is working with the most intellectual horsepower. Um, so I think those, I'm kind of anticipating those two things will offset. Um, but until I P curve it, who knows?
1: Mm. Damn. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting side project for a master's student. Uh, shaking, shaking everything down and, uh, seeing, seeing where the P values land as as they might anywhere. Um, well, I mean, I mean, so
0: so part of it, I I have, I have the ability to do this because I'm not planning on going into academia. So if I ruffle some feathers, uh, mm. there aren't going to be any consequences. So why shouldn't I?
1: Yeah, this is uh, this is this is <laughs> Nick Brown. This is Nick Brown all over again. Hey, Nick, you're probably going to hear this at some point in time. He's your your fellow academic uh, outsider. It's well, well, well informed, but absolutely no one has the ability to walk into your office and kick the chair out from under you at any possible mm-hmm. sort of career stage from now until the end of time. And there's a freedom in that; mm-hmm. you do literally get to say whatever you want. I mean, what are they going to do? Send you an angry email? They're not going to come around to your house and steal your garden hose. Yeah. It's just um, you know you're, just, you're making contributions purely in the sense that I, I offer this. I offer this to you. Make up, make up your own mind, scum. Um, That's a really good point about – I've tried explaining this before out of context to people, and I think running a full-scale exercise physiology trial is about – it's like somewhere between like a, a small clinical trial and something like chemotherapy, the amount of actual work you have to put into each individual thing. Because an awful lot of stuff has got individually supervised training sessions multiple times per week for multiple weeks. Mm-hmm. And then if you're going to have between group comparisons, you need to sufficiently populate each group at some point in time because you need to, you're going to need to have a between factor. Mm-hmm. Um and then you end up doing something like oh we need elite endurance athletes so we've got to get a whole bunch of cyclists to junk their training sign up and get on this schedule and start at some particular point in time it is not straightforward and, to do and that and you're going to
0: be and you're you're going to be working along on that project for 4 years because mm. recruitment is impossible if that's the population you're going after
1: yeah for sure and it, and everything else is everything else is too uncontrolled and then you you finally get it published and you stick it in the world and people go oh no there's not enough people it's insufficiently powered it's the same thing with clinical trials and mm-hmm. that the, obviously there are good points there but another perspective on that is fuck you you do it it's really difficult yeah, and yeah, expensive
2: because yeah. we we think so, we're dealing with unique populations but if you if you're dealing with olympic athletes then uh yeah well so you would
1: get access to the Olympic ones, but even just like highly trained college athletes have got highly trained college things to do. You can't just grab them by the ear and make them do your study.
0: or or I mean even just college tr- or highly trained like not actual athletes. So like you know if if you're doing a, a study on uh, like you know pretty highly trained people with say at least five years of experience in the squad and bench press. Uh, there's not that many of those people, because, like, one, an uh, in, in actual majority of people who start lifting aren't lifting five years later, so the population is small to begin with. Two, most people don't squat. Three, the ones who do squat, when you're, like, screening them at the beginning of the study, they squat like garbage, so that <sighs> kicks a bunch more people out. Four, everyone who clears those hurdles, uh, then you have to convince them, like, hey, I manage your program now for the next four months, uh, mm. and it's going to be a cookie-cutter program because we have to standardize that. So yeah. we hope it's good for you, but if it's bad, you need to stick with us anyways and watch your numbers go down for maybe the last two months of the study. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah it's, uh, yeah, it's a challenge. And that, that's why it really bugs me when people are like, why are so many studies on untrained people? <laughs> it's like, have you, have you ever thought about the logistics of doing a study on trained people? Like, it's a pain in the ass to find them, and it's almost as big of a pain in the ass just to keep them in your study.
1: Yep. And then even when you've got them, you're right over there, you're right over the shoulder, because you have to say everything's properly controlled, going, yep, yeah, mm-hmm. make, make sure you get the 10th rep in your three sets of 10, because... You know, if, you're gonna, if it's going to be unsupervised, it's like the difference between doubly labeled water measurements and ask people to remember what they ate. It's not a fucking measurement. It's an approximation. So, yeah, you roll it all together. Uh, big logistical pain in the ass. It does, it does, remind, me, it does remind me of um, researchers I've known from Sydney who are doing uh, chemo work. Where, you know, you can recruit the people who are... Uh, only only the people who are available to come in. You can't just go around giving chemotherapy to people. Obviously, that's insane. <laughs> um, and then... When when they're actually coming into the experiment, they, they they don't. It's 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 not an environment where they necessarily want to be involved. They're not queuing up at the door. It's not like a chocolate taste test. This is some mm-hmm. seriously unpleasant shit. And then you're monitoring things over multiple visits, over multiple weeks, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, trying to make sure in a difficult supervised environment you're getting everything measured that you want. Mm-hmm. So it's it's almost it's almost that bad. Um, certainly the risks. <laughs> The risks are a lot lower a lot of the time because you can't flog people. Um, you can't flog people with chemotherapy. Um. <laughs> That's the Australian flog where you're not hitting anyone. It, stop judging me. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you we were talking about. Oh, you do. This is, uh, yeah. Is this an Australian podcast still? I suppose it Ah, is. Oh, uh, look- you're from <laughs> Carolina. This all makes sense to you. I've yeah. noticed there's a- Kind
2: of a linguistic similarity, sometimes, with some states. That feels like one of them. Now, b- b- before sure. we actually um, before we started re- recording this show, and as we were sound checking, um, you said something interesting that uh, you would think only uh, about one in ten people in your field of sports and exercise physiology have even heard of the reproducibility crisis. Can you tell us a bit more about oh, yeah. that?
0: Uh, you 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 just told the listeners all they need to know Um, so this has come up in a couple different contexts um, where like I so one time I just like threw a statement out there like uh, everyone does their power calculations wrong and they're overestimating the power they're actually working with Um, people were like no like that's not true like they're finding published research that found these effect sizes and we know how to do this calculations, and I'm like, well, have you heard of the reproducibility project? Like, in their actual replication attempts, the mean effect size they saw was about half of the original published research. Uh, so even if you're finding a representative effect size in the published literature, and not just kind of like fishing for the highest one that will tell you you need the smallest sample possible, which is also pretty common, um, you know, you have to deal with the publication bias, and that's probably still. Overestimating the actual effect size you're going to get, and so your stuff ends up underpowered. Um, and then I had a, a multitude of people respond to that, like, reproducibility project? What is that? Um, and then just, like, you know, talking to people and mentioning it one-on-one. Um, like, I would say of academics in my field who I've talked to just in general... Um, I'd say between maybe like one in five and one in 10 have actually even heard that the replication crisis is a thing, um, mm. which is which is concerning to me. But it's, it's one of those things where like we – one of the things I think is good about exercise science is I think on the whole, we're pretty decent at staying in our lane. Um, where if someone says, hey, I'm injured – we're not like, hmm, let's explain the physiology of this. It's like, hmm, you should go talk to a physical therapist. Uh, or if someone comes with, like, medical issues, like, unless you do, like, clinical X phys in whatever field, like, they're dealing with, um, we say, like, no, go talk to a doctor. And so on the plus side, I think that does thankfully cut down on some of the bullshit in the field. Uh, but on the negative side, it makes the field relatively insular. And so things going on in psychology or biomedicine um, or like just meta science in general, I, I think that my field is on the whole much less informed about them than I would hope they would be.
2: Now, i I'll just taking a quick browse of a few studies that pop up in my feed. Um, typically in exercise phys interventions, you see really small sample sizes. Is that because you would actually anticipate quite large effects from these interventions? Is it a resource thing? What's the story? All of the above.
0: Um, You overestimate the effect size you expect to see and you have no money to work with. Uh, I, I, I think it's more about having no money to work with And you just look at it logistically and say, like, well, we can probably afford to put 18 people through this study. So let's see if we can go find a previously published effect size that will justify us only putting (laughs) 18 people through this study. Um, So I I think I think a lot of it really does come down to resource scarcity, um, which doesn't excuse it. But I think that's probably the main driver.
2: Because this actually oh. quite, happened quite a lot, and pe- people are arguing within psychology. Go well if you don't have the power to do your studies, don't do them. And if you're under resourced, team up with um with other labs. Um, we yeah, do multi-labs. have multi labs, multi lab stuff. We're having this um uh, what's it called the Psych Accelerator Project? Is that what it's called, James? Uh, people are doing like something CERN. called
1: that. I don't know what
2: happens in it. I it's, assume they it's, it's, accelerate it's, it's, psychologies. Um, so, but the thing is that that's quite easy because a lot of these are kind of questionnaire based things, things that you can do in front of a computer doing the multi-lab stuff. Is that possible within exercise phys? Is it practically possible?
0: Um, it has been done before. Um, so it, it, like if memory serves like the heritage study, which like huge aerobic training study looking at. Uh, familiar con- familial contributors to disease and aerobic trainability. Um, I'm pretty sure that was a multi-site study. Uh, and I know there have been a few more like pretty big multi-site studies, but um, on the whole, that doesn't happen all that often in ex Um And some of it, some of it I think has to do with the fact that like there is not like, a standard x lab setup, um, mm. and yeah. you need to account for different equipment. So, like, you know, there's five semi-popular models of DEXA scanners. There's, uh, well, pretty much for VO2, pretty much everyone uses Parvo. Um, but, like, if you're taking ultrasound measurements, there's several different common ultrasound devices. Um, really, really, except for the Parvo, there's not there's no other measurement where there's like one standard device that literally everyone uses.
1: Um, Monarch Bike Erg. The uh, other one I no, can think a, of?
0: A, a lot of people use load bikes.
1: Oh, really?
0: L-O-D-E. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, shows I, how I think, much
1: I know about American research.
0: I think Monarch's probably about 80% of the market, but like a non-negligible amount of people also use load bikes. Um, yeah. So yeah, like I think that makes it a little bit more difficult just because Um, You don't necessarily know that the measurement is exactly the same lab to lab, uh, which Mm. could certainly throw things off.
1: Yeah. Well, then you just have to start randomizing uh, people to different conditions between different labs, which potentially Mm. increases the amount of equipment again. So you've got the same proportional amount of people run through through each individual setup. Mm Huge pain in the ass. And if you've got anything really good, if you're doing double water or hydrostatic or any other fancy pants bullshit that costs a lot of money, you are going to be the person with that particular rig. And it's going to be pretty hard to outsource that shit because that's also super expensive.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Um, I mean, how many metabolic rooms even are there if you're going to do something like that?
0: Oh, you're talking like in-house metabolic chamber? Yeah. Yeah. Uh like four many. or something yeah yeah like four or five i think
1: yeah so oh we should probably tell people what that is um it is a it is a completely controlled environment where you can take metabolic measures because you are capturing the entire amount of energy into and out of someone how's that for yeah. a boilerplate yeah, yeah so there's 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 fuck all of them. If you want to build one, there's probably one company that does it. It costs, I don't know, a million dollars minimum or some shit. And yeah, if there's no money in there in the first place, unless you've got some kind of structural funding to set something up from scratch, you don't really have the option of let's go out and get a massive NSF grant so we can study quadricep hypertrophy. It's sort of not. It, it does not, it doesn't really work like that. As much yeah, as we might well, all think they were important.
0: Well, and, and, and keep in mind, so my, my context and kind of like my bias is uh, like X Fiz with healthy populations. Uh, there is more money in clinical X Fiz, and especially looking at stuff uh, for osteoporosis, sarcopenia, stuff like that. Oh, shit, yeah. Um, and, and honestly, those kind of operate as like two completely separate fields. Um, like... Folks like me, I don't talk to clinical ex-phys people that much. Clinical ex-phys people don't really talk to people like me all that much. Um, and I, I think there probably should be more more crosstalk between those two sides of the field. Um, but they they operate quite differently. Um, like, you know, sarcopenia stuff is... Uh, like, they have a lot more in common with, like, biomedical researchers than, you know, dudes who dudes like me who are like... Well, we know how to get your squat stronger, but can we can we improve on that? Maybe another three um, <laughs> percent. Not not too much in common there. Yeah, right. And 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 that's why there's not that much money on like the side of the uh the side of the field where I inhabit. Um, because I mean, like, ultimately, people giving money tend to know like what are important questions to ask that will have large societal impacts, and like. The stuff I'm into, I think it's cool. I'm into it. But I completely understand that it doesn't warrant a million dollar grant. Like, you know what I mean?
2: But Mm. does industry play much of a role in in your field? Uh, It does. Um, Surely there'll be companies that are very interested in the sort of stuff that you're doing. Or are they? Dan,
1: you you can replace all of that stuff with marketing. You don't need to go around finding out facts. Well Just say stuff.
0: Okay, so if if you're into uh, supplement research, supplement companies, um, as long as they're <laughs> as long as they're selling something for which they hold a patent, um, they'll put a fair amount of money in into it, um, and occasionally, like people who are making devices or like various technology things. Um, if they have, like, something new to market, sometimes they fund research. Uh, a lot of times that's either in-house or they'll fund a big study but want to publish it as, like, a white paper instead of in a journal. Um, yep. So they can kind of point out the more positive findings and not have not kind of be expected to report all of the findings. Um, so, yeah, it, like... That, that, is, that is also a good distinction. If you're interested in studying products, whether that be supplements or compression garments or heart rate trackers or whatever, uh, yeah, there are people with deep pockets who will fund that stuff. But kind of like if you're interested in more like pure physiology or just like interesting questions that you're passionate about, but someone with a lot of money isn't passionate about, um, it's hard to get a lot of
2: funding. On that note, we are going to take a very quick break and we'll be back soon. Welcome back to Everything Hurts. Uh, for this episode, we are chatting with Greg Knuckles. And where can people find you online, Greg? Um, most of my writings on
0: StrongerByScience.com. Um, also put out a research review every month with uh, my friends, Eric Helms and Mike Zordos, who are like traditional academics and much more legit than me. Um, you can find that at StrongerByScience.com slash mass, M-A-S-S uh and past that as far as social media goes i'm relatively active on facebook and uh getting more active on instagram for the time being it's mostly pictures of my dog uh, which <laughs> is Solid. Quad- oh,
1: but that is instagram you just you could have just Animals. said instagram so it's your dog I, or your ass and um, i'm 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 judging on posting- from you we'll go with dog eh? yeah <laughs>
0: Pl- planning on posting more informative content on there which is to say the average quality of the content is about to uh decline precipitously because my dog is incredibly cute uh so yeah facebook instagram stronger by science and stronger by science.com slash mass
1: you don't use it that much do what you got twitter but you're not uh it's not a focus
0: if, if someone tweets at me i respond to it but i don't uh, originate content or thoughts on twitter
2: right yeah. yeah speaking of instagram um there's a whole lot of uh experts in your field on on instagram who are uh, who have uh you know qu- questionable evidence behind the stuff they're saying what are your thoughts behind all that <laughs>
1: Uh, (laughs) what a fucking tee up of a question hey greg Um, is that that you you could see a photo with my ass how much do i know about squat mechanics now oh lots yeah no i i
0: i joke that a lot of people who like say in their instagram bio like so and so strength coach like a more accurate representation is so and so i make food memes um because that's (laughs) that's basically their nine to five uh but yeah, I so one of the reasons I've kind of avoided Instagram to this point is um it's hard to be honest on Instagram just due to limitations of the medium. Uh hmm. cuz science is science is nuanced and you need to you need to be able to communicate in a platform that uh, that encourages or at least allows nuance and that's that's why I live on my blog uh cuz I can spend a lot of words explaining things. Uh, And also Facebook, because it is becoming more and more of a visual medium as their algorithm starts, uh, you know, um, not punishing text, but kind of prioritizing video and photos. But it is certainly still a platform where uh, people aren't going to be too turned off if there's like a really, really long status. Um, But yeah, Instagram, it's uh, people don't read really long descriptions of pictures on Instagram. And so it's largely just based on what you can actually share, like, on the actual photo. And when I look at people who try to do a good job of that, so, for example, Chris Beardsley, um, like, strengthandconditioningresearch.com. I'm not sure what his Instagram handle is, but Chris Beardsley. we we'll he, he tries to do a really, really good job. Uh, sharing like informational infographics um, explaining individual studies or general bodies of research and they are accurate and they're good work and they're completely unreadable because the image is so busy and the text is so small um, that they it's like a
1: don't bad scientific poster
0: oh, yeah oh, i've I mean, got thoughts on it's, that it's 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 the best poster it could be in a tiny Instagram picture. Like just, right. it's a limitation of the
2: medium. But I, I don't so, think these problems are insurmountable because the thing is, like when you when you look on public transport, when you're on the train, when you're on the subway, mm-hmm. every single person is on Instagram. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah. I think although you know there there are some James, you don't agree. Is maybe Not it's an, maybe it's an Oslo thing. It's almost
1: certainly an Oslo thing. It's the fact that you live in a country full of vapid lunatics.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, a a lot of people are are looking at Instagram, are looking at social media. And like like you mentioned, Greg, uh, Facebook is favoring more the images. So, I think this sort of stuff is possible. But, I mean, sharing a a picture of a forest plot on Instagram isn't going to set the world alight. Um, I don't know, I think there are ways that there are some people who are actually I've doing this to. quite well I've shared
0: many forest plots on Instagram <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm
2: going to follow you oh, I I- <laughs> yeah, it tends,
0: ten, tends to go over about like a Led Zeppelin yeah um, but yeah so I one one way I think you could get around that is um, so like how you can upload like multiple pictures to the same post, mm. if instead of trying to put all of the information on one if you could have like multiple slides where maybe it's like the big one to start with. It's eye catching. It catches people's attention. And then the next few kind of go into some more details and nuance um, and just kind of trust that people viewing that won't just rely on only the first slide of it. I think that might, that if I do actually end up putting more focus and attention on Instagram, that's how I'm planning on at least trying to do it at first to see if, to see if that works and resonates. Um, So yeah, I I think there are ways that you could do it better. Um, But I think ultimately a lot of people who are using Instagram now um, is they respond to the wrong set of incentives because there aren't visible incentives for uh, being able to ascertain whether the people looking at your content are actually understanding uh, what you're trying to tell them. But there are uh, vis- visible metrics for how many people are seeing this and how many new followers am I getting. And so I think that's the set of incentives people are responding mm. the most strongly to. That's um, a great point. And, you know, uh, I, I I find that uh, leaning too hard on nuance and accuracy isn't the best way to build a big following. Um, so, yeah, I think... Who knew? I think, yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't think the current Instagram fitness meme sphere is uh is all that great personally
2: very very interesting and then you have um but but for you and for your field then it sounds like blogging um it seems to fit that and and you mentioned you've done a few do you have a you you don't have a podcast yourself do you no i don't but you've appeared you've you've been a guest in quite a few yes
1: oh yeah so what do you, what do you, what do you general, I mean generally uh there's sort of more industry S&C kind of podcasts that you that you do. What do you I'm curious though if you've got a scientific interest in this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously have a vested interest in psychom kind of shit by now that's done by scientists. What are your go-to resources for what is good to learn about that stuff. You want to learn about open science. You want to learn about meta science. Specifically relevant for you. What do you read or listen to?
0: Um. <laughs> uh, let's see. I follow you guys. Uh, I've been following you for probably three or four years, James. I'm a lurker on your, on your Medium page. Hey, um, oh, no
1: shit. Okay. I'll have to read. take out all the swear words. I'm embarrassed now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh. Let's see. I read uh, Data Colada. Um, This isn't strictly relevant to open science and meta science, but um, I first got introduced to the concept on Slate Star Codex. I found that Mm. to be a a very enjoyable blog. Um, And, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Jordan Ayana, Ayana? Anaya. You pronounce his name? Anaya, okay. Yeah. Um, I follow him on Medium
1: as well. He's a grumpy bastard. And a frequent hurtie. He'll, be, he'll so, be listening. So, so he'll, he'll hear this. Greg's reading his stuff, so you better make sure it's good, Jordan. You <laughs> angry little bastard. And he benches more than you, so shut up about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, hmm. But yeah, there's, I don't think there are any people in my field talking about it all that much. Um,
2: I think so yeah, that will I, change. I, I know. I know. There's um uh, within exercise science. There's a uh, John Mills, who's who's one of our listeners as well. He actually started up uh, Sport Archive, which is the um the hmm. preprint service for sport and exercise science. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yes. Um. Uh. And uh, yeah, I think he started up a, a, a few months ago. Um. Using the Open Science Framework uh, platform. And uh, yeah, he, he's very big when it comes to preprints and uh, reproducibility within exercise science so uh, I, yeah I think,
1: it's, on, um, it's on osf right yeah good yeah, john open archive for sport exercise and physical activity related research Can um you, uh, i don't know what's could, on it yet um could,
0: could, could one of you guys introduce me to him
2: absolutely
1: i'll um yeah he's doing well some he's great gonna stuff. hear this so you've you now you've just been introduced how's good how oh, good's that all right that works <laughs> i'm excited i think he does it's uh, the 21st yeah.
2: century <laughs> Now, uh, before, we, uh, before we wrap up for the episode, we, we love asking our guests um, a few questions. And we want to ask you uh, now, um, Greg, uh, what's something that you've changed your mind about recently in the past or at least in the past few years when it comes to the research or your career? Don't say hi, Gene.
0: Um, man, I... My current career trajectory is much different than I thought it would be uh, a few years ago. Like I said, I I planned on kind of going the traditional route. uh, Master's, PhD, look for an academic job. Um, Then, I mean, basically, like, staying in industry at the time was... I liked it, but it was a bit of an annoyance. um, Because it felt to me like it was keeping me away from academia, which is what I thought I wanted to do Um, and now I'm realizing more and more and more that I can do the fun stuff that I like about science on my own um, Hmm. and not have to deal with any of the bullshit of academia and publishing Um, and so that that has turned out to be a very large blessing in disguise and kind of what I plan on doing with my life is, is quite a bit different now Um, so this is, uh, this is not something I've talked about publicly before. I don't think, um, but to this point, kind of all of the stuff I've done and published on my blog, uh, that could be like labeled science has been more like meta analysis type stuff, like, you know, analyzing research that's already out there. Um, one of the things that I really, really want to do is once I get out of school, um, buy a building and open a lab and just do research for fun and use the money from my business to do it uh, instead of having to get grants and whatnot. And um, I think I think that'll be fun and also challenging, but also just be able to do the stuff I want to do. Hopefully, hopefully be able to find an IRB that's like relatively chill um, and stuff that's like, For coaches, just do the research, put it out into the world on my blog openly um, and stuff that is like more suited for a journal, publish it in a journal and basically just be able to make that call on like a paper by paper basis. Um, But actually do like primary research and but outside of the academic structure. I think I think that's going to be pretty fun. That's that's less like one-year plan and more like five-year plan but that's uh that's the direction i'm heading for right now
1: so that's a substantial undertaking as well but it is you you're you're in this you're in this interesting position an interesting kind of time you software is better and free Mm -hmm. data is increasingly being given away um access to how the calculatory structures that underlie measurement is now a topic that people talk about and explain to each other rather than huge racks of arcane bullshit. Mm-hmm. So the the kind of... The, the, the role of the sort of citizen scientist as... Um, someone someone who's marginalized from being able to go through the processes is taking a really serious hit and you're starting to have much, much better access to anything that like the the really core pieces that you need. I've heard plenty of times in my life that someone say, "Oh, I'd study that for fun, but I don't have SPSS." I've had that conversation with people. Mm-hmm. It's not a thing anymore. It's not even a fucking option. You're choosing between half a dozen resources that can do it for nothing for you that you can get installed on your that, computer. That's in also kind seconds. of a lame
0: excuse because you can read a stats textbook and. Anything you can do in SPSS, you can do in Microsoft Excel. It's just going to be a correction, little bit more
1: annoying. Correction, Greg, you can read a stats textbook. Lots of other people. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a fucking good counterweight. If you have eighty of them, if you need to sink a body, um, you could build a very small house. Um, you could prop up a low monitor, for instance. Uh, you could you could line the bottom of the inside tray of a particularly uh, particularly poorly behaved cat or ferret um there, there is obviously the 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 barrier at that point is one of are you capable of understanding other ways of doing it are you capable of understanding process and there's lots of people who are marginalized from understanding the process into mm-hmm. the world where you've got access to all the stuff in the way it's traditionally given away now so fair. it's actually it's actually it's a very exciting time to be uh A smart person with some basic curiosity, because apart from the fact that you don't have a boss and you say whatever the fuck you like, you have the tremendous advantage that you can also study whatever the hell piques your interest at any given point in time. The one thing that really fucks up a program or research over time is the fact that you need to produce something from it in order to justify its continuation. And you can't click your fingers and suddenly say, here in this place, I have external collaborations, but here in this place we do this one specific thing. You can wake up on a Tuesday and go, fuck it, I've got nothing till half 11. I always wanted to look at that. And your access to the tools you need to be able to understand that if you're not mm-hmm. using your stats textbooks to line your cat's litter tray, is now very very small. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a very it's a very exciting time to be in that specific position, and um, yeah, it's uh, you know, it's one of those things that occasionally makes me wish I had one of them fallback careers going on. Um. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just uh just do science as your day job and cryptocurrency speculation and hope you hope you hit it big
1: oh okay and yell, make your dreams yes, another a reality. another thing i don't understand <laughs> yes no, um, I, d-
0: I don't i don't understand it at all either
1: on yeah here. i've avoided that because there's so many people who are really into it where if you read the words that they say you come to the conclusion that they are bad at being people and then on the flip side of that, you just sort of go, no,
2: I'm not dealing with anyone with gills in a trunk. On, uh, on that note, we will wrap up the show. Greg Knuckles, <laughs> thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, It's been a thanks, blast. This, is, this has been one of the first uh, truly fun podcasts I've been on in a long time. Because most of the time, someone's like, hey, want to come on my podcast? I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. And we'll get on and they'll be like, so, Greg, how about squats? I'm just like, come on, guys. Like, that's what I yeah. talk about all the time. This is this is boring for me, so it's going to be boring for your listeners. But no, this is the stuff that I'm passionate about, uh, and it's it's fun. It's fun.
1: I had a blast. For sure. And you explicitly asked me not to ask about squats, so I was going to open with it, but then Dan distracted <laughs> me. <laughs> I've got my knees over my toes right now, Craig. It's hurting my back in a place. Am I doing it wrong? Oh, we're stopping, aren't we? I forgot about that. Let's, All right. Bye, everyone. Let's wrap, let's wrap it off. Bye-bye.